We um, are celebrating, as I mentioned before, we're celebrating Christ the King Sunday or King the King Sunday, as I told the children. We're celebrating this uh, reminder that Jesus is not simply our Savior. He's not simply our uh, rabbi, or the, the, the person to whom we are disciples, but he is our King. And that is a struggle for us as Americans because we don't do kings. I mean, you know, you may enjoy the tabloids, you know, one of them got engaged and stuff like that, but... But you, you basically, as an American, kind of say, whatever, you know, kings are not my problem. And so we don't, we don't relate well to the idea of kings as Americans. And, you know, you remember all the reasons from high school civics where we talked about, you know, separation of powers and, you know, the executive branch and the legislative and all those, all those governmental things. And I was trying to think, is there any part of our government where we can, we can relate at least a little bit to to what a king is like. And I was trying to think, and I decided probably the closest thing we have is the presidential appointment system because Congress traditionally has kept a pretty light hand in terms of approving them. Mostly presidents get who they want to be secretary of energy or whatever. It takes takes a really egregiously unqualified candidate for that to happen. And maybe you've got your opinions about the current administration or the previous one. But in general, um, whoever the president picks... Um, can can wind up in in um, these these offices. Um, we're going to find out on Monday whether that's actually true. Apparently, we have two um, two uh, heads of the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau, and um, we're going to find out on Monday which one actually is uh, is the real head. So uh, one was appointed by the president, and one was appointed by the previous head. So uh, we'll see how that works out. But um, but our um, our, our problem as as Americans is we don't really relate well to the idea of presidents, um, but that's probably the closest we have. And what it illustrates uh, the the reasoning behind it, kind of the governmental reason, is that the president needs people who will carry out his agenda. That he got elected on some set of promises and he's going to do those things. And in order to do it, he needs the people to do it. But we know practically what it often turns out to be is a way to reward your supporters and punish your opponents. You know, we actually implemented the, the civil service system so it didn't go all the way down to the uh, to the local level. It, it's only the top couple of layers of the federal bureaucracy. But that was the idea, is that there would be, there would be, um, uh, the president needs the, uh, the authority to, to pick people, but in practice what presidents have always done, what leaders have always done, is to reward their supporters and to punish their opponents. And that's the background that we need to have in mind as we read our story today, because Jesus talks about that too. Jesus says that there's going to be a new administration, um, not a new president, and probably not tomorrow, but maybe tomorrow. But whenever it happens, there will be a new administration because he will be the king. He is the king, but he will return in glory, and we will know what it is like to be the king. And so he tells us, he gives us heads up, here's how you can get on my good list, or here's how you can get on my bad list. Here's how you can get on the list of people that I will reward, and here's how you can get on the list of people that I will punish. So he's giving us uh, um, uh, advance notice of what it's going to be like and how you can have rewards and favors or punishment by the new administration when he takes office. So Jesus wants us to know how we can land on our feet. And uh, we see in Scripture there are several places where the disciples are actually concerned about that very thing. Um, there are um, 
in, in Matthew and Mark's account of the, the gospel, there's, there's four biographies of Jesus in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in the first two, Matthew and Mark, they tell us how the disciples uh, actually came to Jesus on one occasion and said, hey, we want the top jobs in your administration. I want to sit on the, the right, and he wants to sit on the left. So we're going to be right up there at the very top. We want the top jobs in your administration. And Jesus says, well, you know, it's not as simple as that. So so he basically gives them a very polite no. Um, but we see that this was an issue um, uh, for the disciples. They wanted to know where they were going to rank in the new administration. Luke, Luke tells us, along with Matthew and Mark, that on one occasion, Peter came to Jesus kind of complaining. He said, hey, we gave up everything to follow you. What's our reward going to be? We, we, we gave up everything, and Jesus assures him there is a reward. And similarly, in our passage today, Jesus tells us that there will be rewards for people that the king favors, and there will be punishment for those the king does not favor. And he tells us how we can get on which one of those lists we want to. So that's what I want to do is I want to look at um, this passage where Jesus explains this to us. And um, it's uh, it's a pretty straightforward message. It, it tells us that Jesus is concerned about how we treat people on the margins of society. That's what it says. But that's the simple message that's kind of hidden in this forest of theological trees that may keep us from seeing the simple message. So here's maybe one way to look at it. I was thinking about, imagine that there was a televised game show, and you were the contestant, and it's the finals, and there's a big cash prize and uh, bragging rights. Everybody will see you either succeed or fail at this question. And the question comes up, and I think it's up here. Um, can you show us the list of four things? It should be coming up. But I know where it is. So scoot forward a little bit. Uh, wait, backwards, backwards. Backwards. There we go. Uh, one more, one more. All right, I gave, gave away the answer. So uh, there are all kinds of theological topics that wrap around the central idea here. But imagine you're on a TV show, and the question comes up, is this passage, you just heard it, is this passage about end times chronology? Or is it about predestination? Or is it about salvation by works? Can we get into heaven because of the good deeds we do? Or is it about caring for people on the margins? You have to pick. What would you pick? Well, I'll show you the correct answer. The correct answer is the fourth one. Because that's what it's obviously about. But they're all true. All of those issues are part of this passage. And I tell you this because it's so easy to get hung up on any one of those things. And unfortunately, the way Jesus tells the story, they come first. And then comes the obvious moral or application. So, uh, yes, we're going to talk a little bit about things that bear on end times chronology. We're going to talk a little bit about things that bear on predestination. Yes, about salvation by works. But ultimately, don't lose sight of the message that's right there, that Jesus cares about how we treat people on the margins. So with that kind of warning, let's go ahead and take a look at this passage. So Jesus begins by saying, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. Now the Son of Man, who is the Son of Man? Well, we heard about the Son of Man. The Son of Man is this character that Daniel mentions in his prophecy uh, several centuries before. Daniel had spoken about the Ancient of Days, God the Father who sits on this throne in heaven, and someone comes to him who is like a son of man. So someone comes to him who is to be the new king 
what David was to Israel, this new king will be for the whole world, and he will establish justice on the earth. So Jesus routinely calls himself all through the scriptures. He says, I am the son of man. And so he's saying, um, right now, I am the king, but nobody knows it. But the day will come when the son of man comes in glory with all of his heavenly angels with him. And he will sit upon his glorious throne. And he says this, he says, all the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Jesus says that everybody will be part of the judgment that takes place then. That there aren't going to be any favored groups that get a pass. And there's not going to be uh, any any uh, despised groups that aren't judged based on what they've done. He says, he says everybody will be judged. But he says it will be an individual judgment, like a shepherd looking at an animal and saying, is that, a, is that a sheep or a goat? It will be an individual judgment. So Jesus says that's what will happen at this, at this point. And so he says, what is the criterion that the king is using? And so he tells us, the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. So there's a whole wonderful conversation we could have about predestination right there. And unfortunately, Jesus puts it at the front, and it's so easy to get hung up on that. I was in a group uh, of pastors a couple of weeks ago where we were looking at this exact passage, and that's exactly what we did. We got all, you know, let's show off our theological education, and we got all into predestination and things like that. But I want you to just kind of hold on to that, Keep that in mind that that's there. There's a, there's a whole conversation about predestination. But look where Jesus devotes the bulk of what he's got to say. He says instead, instead of getting into predestination, he says this. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger. This word stranger, um, it doesn't mean just someone, um, that I don't know. It means it's somebody nobody knows. So a foreigner, an alien, somebody who is from outside of our group. Somebody who's got no kind of social social network to uh, to to leverage. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And the righteous ones will say, you know, when did we do that? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. So he says, I'm paying attention. I notice what you're doing right now. And it will come back to bless you. And then he turns to the goats, the ones on his left, and he says, Away from me, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. And again, we can get hung up on the theology. Uh, Tell me more, Jesus. I'd like to know more about the last judgment. I'd like to know about whether hell is an actual physical location in, in time and space, or is it a state of being? Is it eternal punishment? I can, I can kind of get hung up here and ask all kinds of interesting theological questions. But Jesus devotes more space to what the king says. He says, For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger. You didn't invite me into your home. I was naked. You didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. And again, they say, Well, when did we not do that? And Jesus says, I was watching. And when you didn't do it for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you didn't do it for me. And so he wraps it up by saying, um, uh, "When they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. 
So it's a pretty simple message. Yes, there are all kinds of theological complexities we can introduce into it, but why do we do that? I think we do it because the message is so clear. As Mark Twain famously said, it's not the things in the Bible that he doesn't understand that give him trouble. It's the things he does understand. And I think we all understand what Jesus is getting at here. And so it's tempting to go off into the weeds and start talking about predestination or the location of hell. When Jesus wants us to remember the point is that the king is watching and the king cares about the marginal people in our society. Now, there are two two questions that I think are legitimate questions, um, but they too are questions that we use to distance ourselves from this passage, to somehow limit its impact on us. The first one is this. He says, uh, the least of these, my brothers and sisters. Who does he mean by brothers and sisters? Well, Everywhere else in the New Testament where somebody, Paul or one of the other apostles or Jesus, talks about brothers and sisters, he's talking about Christians, fellow believers, people who are part of the body of Christ. They are our brothers and sisters. So that invites the possibility, as Jesus saying, we only need to worry about this with respect to Christians. Well, you can make that case, but I think if you consider... The way that Jesus has taught elsewhere, um, earlier in this gospel, he said um, that we should pray for our enemies, that we should bless those who curse us. In Luke's uh, biography, uh, Jesus says, don't show hospitality to people who can repay you, but show hospitality to the blind and the lame, people who are on the fringes of society, not because they have any ability to connect back and, and pay you back. And of course, famously, he tells uh, the, the lawyer in chapter 10 of Luke, the lawyer says, um, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus says, to love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And the lawyer says, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story of the good Samaritan. The person, ultimately, the lawyer says, the one who showed him mercy was his neighbor. So, it may be true that Jesus has in mind here the, the, the Christian community, but I don't think we can stop there. Let me, let me put it a different way. These six things that Jesus mentions, hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, uh, sick, and in prison, is that an exhaustive list? If you see, see somebody in distress and you kind of go through a mental checklist up, nope, they're not naked, you know, they're not hungry, do we just get a pass? We just kind of walk by and say it's no big deal? I don't think so. So if we're not going to limit the, the six areas of application, I think we'd be just as unwise to limit the population that we apply this to. So um, there is a case that you can make that this, this brothers and sisters language refers to Christians. But I think in light of what the gospel teaches us elsewhere, we have to see it as a broader topic. The other The other question is... Is this a parable, or is it a prophetic revelation about the end times? And I say that because the rest of this chapter, Jesus is telling parables. He tells a parable of the ten bridesmaids. Nobody thinks that that's actually what's going to happen at the end of the age. He tells a story about the the servants who were entrusted with money. And one of them invests, and one of them buries it in the ground. No one thinks that that's an actual story about what's going to happen at the end of the age. So 
Is this a parable or is it prophecy? I think it's prophecy, but I think it has a parabolic intent. I think it is like a parable in this sense. There are folk tales in many cultures that tell about the king who wants to know how things are going on in his in his um, in his kingdom, and so he dresses down. He maybe sometimes he just becomes a stranger. Sometimes he becomes a beggar, and he goes around to find out how people. Uh, are, are faring in his kingdom. And Jesus, I think, is inviting us to say that story that we've all heard. We've all heard a story like that. The, the, the important person who wanted to get past the layers of advisors and find out what it was really like on the ground. We've all heard stories like that. And Jesus is saying, yeah, there's a reason. I put that in you because you know what you're supposed to do for the poor for the marginalized. It's not just a story about kings, though. Ultimately, it's a story about gods. In the Greek mythology, there's a story about how one day, Zeus and Hermes went slumming on earth. They went down to earth, and they uh, went to a town, and they were rejected by all the rich people in town. But when they went to this one old couple that was very poor, an old man and an old woman gave them hospitality. So Zeus and Hermes blessed that couple and cursed everybody else in the community. And we see that's what was going on in the book of Acts. When Paul and Barnabas showed up in town and they healed someone, everyone said, oh no, I've heard this story and it doesn't turn out well. We better start showing them respect now because we forgot up front. This is something that is baked into humans. We understand at a deep level how we're supposed to treat the marginalized. So is it parabolic? Yes, I think it's parabolic in that sense. But I think Jesus is also telling us this is really what's going to happen. So the question for us is, what are we going to do? There's a new administration coming. How are you going to react? What are you going to do now so that you'll wind up on the list of supporters when the new administration arrives. What are you going to do now to stay off the list of opponents? That's the question we're invited to do. And the amazing thing to me, you know, I I work in a church, is Jesus doesn't say the way you get on the good list is by going to church every week, by tithing, by praying a lot. He says the way you get on the good list is by looking out for other people, for looking and seeing who needs your help, and giving them help. So if you're counting on your church attendance, if you're counting on your tithing to get you on the good list, as useful as that would be for me, that's not the way Jesus designed things. So Jesus has told you what you need to do. And I would add this. When Jesus tells the story about a king... I think that's a lesson for all of us who have any kind of authority. If you have authority, if you're, if you're a manager in a business, if you have authority in your home, I think it's inviting us to ask, am I behaving like a good king, like King Jesus? Am I concerned about the people on the margins of my little kingdom? And I think it's inviting everybody who's in a position of authority to say, how do I watch out for? What do I do? 
what of my own authority do I invest in making sure that people on the margins are treated well? So I will leave that to you. I'm not the Holy Spirit. You and the Holy Spirit can chew on that. But having said all that, and given you what is frankly a, a warning from Jesus, I want to celebrate something that this church does very well. This church is just amazing, honestly. Um, you know, and this is the time of year when we see it. Uh, you see it because, because we keep coming back and saying, hey, did you know there's this thing you could do? Um, Monday night, I was at the uh, Thanksgiving blessing, and I had to leave, but um, I talked to Dave Kuyper, who was uh, one of the people um, uh, operating it, running it, and uh, they had just passed 800 families had been given um, the, the food supplies to have um, a Thanksgiving dinner so that they could have the dignity of celebrating Thanksgiving like the people that they live next door to. And that's something this church did. I didn't hear a final count. They were going to go a couple more hours when I had to leave. But um, at the time I left, they had served 800 families. Last year they served 1,400, and I imagine it's probably about the same number um, this year. And this church had a role in that. You remember our Cranberry Drive. This church is something, uh, that is something this church has been involved in, both in terms of providing food and providing the volunteer support to hand out the food. So that's something this church does very well. Um, We uh, gave out uh, three turkeys. Gladys Wood asked us if we could do something like that on a very narrow basis. There were three families that they needed to give turkeys to at Gladys Wood. This church did that. And at the Thanksgiving service on Thursday, uh, this church contributed along with the other churches that were part of that um, uh, to support the work of um, the Lutheran Social Services Food Bank in Spinard. So that's an example of something we do. At Christmas, um, I looked at the list, the, the list of Christmas presents for the needy that, um, that Leah has identified um, through her work um, is mostly filled up. So if you, wanna, if you want the opportunity to give something, um, you better hurry um, because they're almost filled. Um, uh, the, the school across the street has asked us to provide 16 turkeys. So we're going to have a sign-up sheet for that. So there'll be an opportunity for people who want to provide a turkey to poor people in our um, across the street from us. That'll be an opportunity to do that. And um, uh, Tom is has already arranged for us to... Um, every, every year, you know, we do this thing where we, uh, we get... Um, Small supplies, socks, gloves, hats, things like that, and we prepare gifts for the homeless people in our community. And so we'll be doing that. Uh, we'll be receiving those um, gifts uh, through the church, and then uh, the young people in the church uh, will be taking them down uh, toward Christmas and wrapping presents, and then they'll be distributed on Christmas Eve. So um, those are some of the things we'll be doing for Christmas. And then, of course, year-round we do other things. You've heard about... Uh, the Lutheran Social Services offering we had earlier this month, we raised enough money to provide 6,800 pounds of food, which is how many families? How many meals? I forget. Okay, all right. He, I was trusting him to have the numbers, but, but a lot. 6,800 pounds of food um, that this, this little church, the people in this room, uh, provided 6,800 pounds of food to Lutheran Social Services. Um, 7,000? Okay, there was a other offering. Okay. Make me look bad in the middle of my sermon. So, all right. So, no, no. Um, uh, what else? Um, Clare House. 
probably most of you don't even know about this, but Clare House is a is a is a service of Catholic, Catholic social services up also in Spinard, and uh, they minister to uh, women and families who need shelter, um, uh, short-term shelter. So uh, we we provide a meal and have for years and years. We provided a meal every month to uh, Clare House. That goes on, and it's one of these things you it just happens in in the silence, and nobody knows. I, I can see a few people who know, but most of us don't know. But that's something that you can be involved in, too. And then, um, of course, we have our Benevolence Fund. Um, but probably my favorite is the mobile food pantry. You've heard me... Uh, You've heard me pitch it any number of times. Down here at uh, uh, Nazarene Church and um, up at the Tur- uh, Turnigan Lutheran Church, um, uh, people come together. Um, I did I did the math. We get we get a report. Um, an average of 135 of our neighbors are served at the Nazarene Church every week um, down here. And each week, about nine or ten are new families that have not been in the system for the past two years. So there's turnover. People don't stay in that in that system forever. But 135 of our neighbors stand in line to get food down here. And about, I don't know, the, I think the highest number was 18, but typically six or eight or maybe ten people volunteer, a lot of them from our church. I see some other people here who are volunteers. Um, that's something where we are responding exactly the way Jesus would have us. We are looking at the need we're saying, there are hungry people, and this is something we can do. One of the amazing things about this passage is Jesus doesn't say anything about the circumstances of the hungry person. He doesn't say why they're hungry. I was looking at a study that said in Anchorage, of the, uh, it was a study of the homeless population in Anchorage, it said 45% are, uh, uh, have, a, have a substance abuse issue. 20% have some kind of mental illness. And 20 more, per, another 20% have economic problems. Jesus doesn't care. Jesus doesn't say, well, if they are hungry for a good reason. Jesus says, are they hungry? So he leaves it up to us to decide what we're going to do. But I also like, he doesn't tell us how. He says, this is a place where you can be creative where you can say, this is something, I have some God-given gifts, I have some resources that other people may not have. And this is a place where I can put them into use. I can be a little king over my little kingdom. I can make sure that the people in my little community are well cared for. Because this is what Jesus says will get you on his good list. This is what he wants to have us understand about the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks um, for the kingdom of God. The, the, the kingdom of this world is a messy place, and it's not just, it's not fair. There's hunger, there's addictions, there's mental illness. There's all kinds of trouble in this world, Lord. And so we look forward to the coming kingdom of Christ our Lord. But in the meantime, Lord, we thank you that through the scriptures, through his teaching, Jesus tells us how we would have us live now as kingdom citizens. What we should do with the resources, with the talents and skills we've been entrusted with. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see the hungry, to see the thirsty, to see the stranger, to see the naked, to see the sick, and to see the imprisoned, so that we can act 
as Jesus would have us. We pray this all in his name and for his sake. Amen.